I'm going to be speaking today on moving mountains. Um, so I would like for you to open your Bibles or your electronic devices or however you get uh, God's Word to Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 20. And while I'm speaking of electronic devices, take this time to silence yours. We don't want anybody to miss a single pearl of what God has in store for you. Reading from Mark chapter 11, verse 20. Now in the morning as they passed by, they saw a fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, he believe, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. And please extend your hand and pray for me that I may step out of the way and God's words will come out and use me to deliver this message. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Father, because it is a light unto my path and a lamp unto my feet, Father, and I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you will bless your word, and I ask now, Father, that you remove me, Father, out of the way, whatever idiosyncrasies I have in my speech or in my appearance, Father, that they disappear, and only your word, Father, will come forth. I thank you, Father, for this time. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I've titled this Serving Mountains. Let's read the introduction. Is everybody, if they don't have an outline, raise your hands, and Brother Chip will bring out to you. We have a couple over here, or Brother Steve, rather. Moving mountains, what a title. That holds great promise. Let's read the introduction. And it says, we are meant to move mountains, to see the impossible occur through the exercise of faith in the omnipotent promises of our sovereign Lord. If we're not seeing mountains move, we are living beneath our means. We are living as paupers when we have millions in our heavenly bank account. I took that from Mr. John Bloom, and you see the address there. Moving mountains. What great promise that holds. And, and like, a, like I'm going to give you now the surefire formula for getting everything you want in life from God. Well, let me disappoint you. I'm not going to do that. 
I'm not going to be like those infomercials that promise pie in the sky. For $99.99, I will show you how to get rich beyond your wildest dreams. Or buy this product, and all that weight you've accumulated over years of indulgence will magically disappear. Or maybe this one. We will magically fix your credit that you have abused for years so that you can get more credit and buy another car and your dream home. I term these, promise, I, these things, these promises that they make, as pie in the sky. And, and please, I do not mean to be insensitive uh, with my comments as there are circumstances beyond anybody's control that through a medical condition may cause uncontrollable weight gain or, or, or a catastrophic event in the lives of some can cause financial ruin. But for the most part, what I am saying is the solutions that are being offered are, are being sold as a magical solution, and they are not. But what I am going to give you today is God's word. So let's dig in. What is Jesus teaching us in this passage about moving mountains? First, let us explore what Jesus meant by the term mountains. Let us try to determine what he meant when he said mountains. In scripture, a mountain takes several meanings. A mountain can signify a place where you go to meet God. Moses went up to the mountain and God gave him the Ten Commandments. Abraham went up to the mountain, to a mountain to sacrifice his son Isaac, and he encountered Jehovah Jireh, the provider. Jesus went up to the mountain, and there he becomes radiant in glory. We know that as Mount of Transfiguration. That's one mountain. We also speak of mountaintop experiences. This refers to an experience with God that is unlike anything you've ever felt before. As Christians... Most of us had had those mountaintop experiences and experiences when God suddenly moved in a way that we had never experienced before. It may have been while you're in a worship service, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It may have been at a prayer meeting where you were kneel before the God Almighty. Or it may just be caring about your normal day. In my lifetime, God has graced me with several mountaintop experiences. The best one was when he baptized me in the Holy Spirit. And I can sing, oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know that he touched me and made me whole. Also, we have a mountaintop experience. Um, it, may be, it may be when you get a revelation from God. The Reverend Martin Luther King, on the day before he was assassinated, delivered one of the most moving and prophetic sermons at the Mason Temple, Church of God in Christ in Memphis, Tennessee. He said, we've got some difficult times ahead, but it doesn't really matter to me now because I have been to the mountaintop. I have seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, 
But I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And tomorrow, we honor this great man of God. But in this passage, Jesus was referring to a mountain that represents an obstacle or an insurmountable problem. Have you encountered that kind of mountain in your life? No? Well, hang on. It's coming. This mountain in your life represents a situation that looms so large that you cannot even begin or even hope to move it by yourself, nor do you know of anybody with the strength or the skill or the resources that can help. Because without intervention from a divine source, there is no way to overcome this mountain. That is a mountain. What is the mountain that you face today? Is it a mountain of cancer? Is it a mountain of some disease that given all the knowledge and all the expertise and all the advancements of healthcare here in the 21st century, there is nothing that can be done. Give it whatever name you want, be it Alzheimer's, be it lupus, be it Parkinson's, cancer I mentioned, or even diabetes. Oh yeah, modern medicine can help you manage it. They can help you to live somewhat comfortably with it. They may even prolong your days a little longer, but they cannot cure it. That is a mountain. And then there's another mountain that stands before folks. It is a mountain of debt. A debt that has been incurred either through a catastrophe or the mismanagement of finances. A mountain that you cannot see your way out of. Even if you work three jobs until you're 100 years old, which is physically impossible, there is no way that you see your way out of this. Others face a mountain of depression. You want it to go away. You want it to stop. You want it to disappear, but it just won't. Some are even led to thoughts of suicide to stop the pain of depression. There are mountains of addiction. You want to quit. You try to quit. But no matter how hard you try, you cannot break that addiction. These are mountains. They are obstacles Obstacles that loom so large to you that you cannot handle them on your own. And there is nobody on whom you can call upon to help you. The mountain is too large, too high, too steep, too wide. Here in our, in our reading this morning, Jesus is talking about moving mountains, these kind of mountains. And he uses a fig tree to show us how. It always amazes me how, uh, as I study scripture, how it weaves the tapestry of what seems to be unrelated passages all working together. I see, especially in the Gospels, how passages seem unrelated, but when you meditate on, in them, they all make sense. And you know, Jesus always operated that way. 
He was never random. He was always intentional. And here he uses a fig tree. In our, in our uh, reading this morning, we see <coughs> that Jesus and, and his entourage were passing by this fig tree that was root, uh, withered from the roots, it tells us. And Peter says, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. He is amazed at this. He is basically saying, Rabbi, the fig tree that you cursed yesterday has now withered all the way to the roots today. He was amazed because that just does not happen in nature. Even if you pull out a tree from its roots and throw it out, that tree will take several days to wither. But here, this planted tree that was planted is now overnight withered. Whatever you said yesterday, Lord, has happened today from the roots up. Whatever you said yesterday, Lord, has happened overnight. Jesus' response was about moving mountains. He answered, can you just see Peter doing a double take? Huh? How did this conversation go from a withered fig tree to moving mountains? Well, um, to get an understanding of this, we have to back up a few verses. Look at the chain of events that begin in verse 12 of this same chapter. In verse 12, it says, now, on the next day, when they had come out of Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing afar a fig tree with leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it is not the season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, Let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. Jesus, I say again, is always teaching. He is never random with his actions. So we read here the actions of the day before. Jesus sees a fig tree filled with leaves, but he also read that it was not the season for figs. So intentional Jesus walks up to the tree to see if there was something in it that these leaves were advertising. Was this unfair of Jesus? Well, let's get a quick botany lesson here. In the Middle East, the fig tree sprouts at the same, the figs sprout at the same time as the leaves. I have a picture here of a fig tree growing. If Mark can put it up, you will see that the fig tree is growing figs along with the, with the leaves. The testimony of this tree with all these leaves is, I have figs. But the reality of that there was no fruit to be found. This fig tree was a deceiving tree. So Jesus curses it. That was yesterday. Today, Peter is amazed to see that this fig tree that was filled with leaves is now withered from the root. Remember, I keep saying that Jesus is always teaching. 
Nothing Jesus ever did was by accident. So between yesterday's cursing of the tree and today's evidence of a withered tree, there is a great lesson sandwiched in between from the master. Let's look at this lesson. Let's look at this story in verse 15 of this same chapter. So they came to Jerusalem. Then Jesus went into the temple and began to drive out those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry wares through the temple. Then he taught, saying, Is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. Track with me now. In the morning, Jesus passes by a fig tree filled with leaves, but when he went to get one, he found none. He curses the tree. He proceeds to, the te- to Jerusalem and into the temple and where he should have found people worshiping God, where he should have found people praying to God, where he should have found people living for God, he found fakery. He found not the real thing. The leaves in this place were not living up to their testimony. It looked like a temple. The structure all looked the same. There were priests in the temple. There were scribes in the temple. But there was no spiritual reality. They were playing religion in church. They were going through the motions with empty results. A reasonable person should have expected that they should, they should have felt God's presence here. They should have found his power here. But when Jesus showed up, they, all they were doing was playing games in the house of the Lord. Religion without God at its center is like a fig tree, all leaves and no figs. You can look the part, but when you get up close, there is no spiritual reality. There is no spiritual life. So you see Jesus' point here. Between the fig tree yesterday and the fig tree today is the temple story. This was Jesus' major point. Jesus, I said, was always teaching, and Jesus is always calling us to spiritual reality. He is saying, I am not interested in your leaves. Show me the figs. I want the figs. I want to see spiritual reality. In my 40 years or so of following Christ, I have seen so much of this Christian fakery. My uncle was an upright and righteous man and pastor of a church that was driven to a nervous breakdown by a board of carnal men. They looked apart. They carried their Bible. They sang the songs. They gave their tithes. But there was no reality to their religion. They were devoid of God's presence in their lives. They were, in fact, devoid of anything spiritual. They had a lot of leaves, but no figs. And and over the years, I have seen that played out over and over. A church here in Durham, of which I was attending 
a pastor of that church was assaulted by a board member at a board meeting. <laughs> I am so glad that God brought me to Bethel. It is not perfect by any means. Just look around. Look up here and you see that it's not perfect. But our pastor here and the leaders he has surrounded himself with, we are all working on less leaves and more figs. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, quoting from the book of Isaiah, my house should be called a house of prayer. Prayer should be the top priority of any church. A few weeks ago, a couple visited our church here. They were the grandparents of, of one of our, our youth that attends here. The man came into the sanctuary and he saw several people kneeling at the altar at the begin, before beginning the service. And he was, was a, a man of, of clergy. And he said to me, I love to see people at the altar praying before church. You see, we've had some great sermons preached here. From out of this pulpit, there has gone the word of God in tremendous power. They encourage us. They inspire us. However, they cannot move a mountain that you need moved in your life. We have a great worship team that presents the way for us to enter into God's presence. They certainly do not bring God to us. God is already here. They create an atmosphere that prepares our spirit to enter into the presence of God. They most certainly do not move mountains for us. It is not until we come before God in prayer that the mountains begin to shake. The insurmountable mountain begins to move. Jesus is saying, my house should be a house of prayer. The thing that should draw you here is not the singing, not the preaching, not the programs, but together with other fig-bearing believers locking our shields together and crying out to God. You should be saying to me, good preaching, Dan, good sermon, but just wrap it up so we can get to pray. I got to pray. That's when we come here. That's what I come here to do. There are mountains I need moved. We need to pray. I have to pray. Hallelujah. So the very next morning, Peter says to Jesus, Rabbi, this tree accursed just yesterday is now completely withered overnight. How did you do that? Jesus now responds revealing the secret to moving mountains. He says in verse 22, have faith in God. Yes. At this point you're paying, probably saying, that's it? Have faith in God? You're probably saying that as Peter. You don't understand, Brother Dan. That is a big mountain that I am facing. It's going to require a lot of faith. Well, let me correct your thinking here. You do not need more faith. Jesus tells us how much faith you really need. In Matthew 17 and verse 20, it says, If you have the faith of 
of a, as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, there's a, there it is again, he's teaching again, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. How much is that? How much faith do you need? Well, I got a picture that Mark's going to put up that'll indicate how much faith you need to move a mountain that is too high, too wide, and too steep. You see that? Thank you, Mark. You do not need more faith. You just take that tiny little mustard side seeds of faith and you put it into a God that spoke the world into existence. Like the centurion said that came to Jesus at Capernaum pleading for his servant. He says to Jesus in Matthew 8, 8. The centurion answered, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Yes. Put your tiny faith in God and that mountain will wither overnight. You see, it is the object of your faith that matters, not how much faith you have. When our kids were young, my stepdad gave us his motorboat. <laughs> but because of a tragic event, a near drowning in her life, while swimming in the river in Texas, my wife would not get into that boat. However, just ask me where we were in December. We were on a cruise. She was able to get in this big giant ship and go on to Cozumel, Mexico and spend money. You see, the amount of trust she had on the boat was dependent on the size of the boat. Not that she overcome her fear. The answer to how to move mountains in your life is to have faith in God. Yeah. However, let me qualify that. You also have to have a correct view of God. Your view of God is so important. A correct view of God when you, uh, comes when you have an understanding of his will when you have knowledge of his holy word, and when you know his character. Anything less is just the God that you created. That God that you created, I can guarantee you right now, is not going to move any mountain that faces you. You have to know his will. You have to pray according to his word. Your requests have to be consistent with his character. You can't pray, Lord, rain down fire on, Ir on Iran and wipe them off the face of the earth. They're evil people and they're trying to kill us. You can't pray that prayer and expect God to answer that. You know why? Because God loves those people as much as he loves you. And he's just waiting for you to send someone to give them the gospel. And I'm glad to say, as missions director of this church, we're doing that. We have, we have missionaries in Iraq 
and hopefully we can send one to Iran. So then, it is through prayer that God reveals himself to you. And it is through the word that you discover God's promises. Because Hosea 4 and 6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. How can you know what God has promised you if you don't dive into his book of promises? That is why the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1 and 17 that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I like the way the NIV puts it. And I have asked Mark to put it, that verse in the NIV. And it says... I keep asking that the Lord of our that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Yes. He goes on to pray in verses 18 through 19 that he opens the eyes of your heart so that they may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and the incomparably great power for us who believe. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Thank you for encouraging me. The better you know God, the more your prayers will line up with his will and with his character. <clears throat> then you're on your way to moving that mountain. So in this passage we learn that if you're serious about God and you are going, growing figs and not leaves, just leaves, if you put your faith in God and do not doubt that he can do it, then that mountain will be moved. When doubt enters the picture, we are, neither, we are either questioning God's ability to move that mountain, or we're doubting that what God wants to do it for us. So now the passage moves on. We have been praying to God about this mountain. We have placed our little mustard seed of faith in him, into the El Shaddai, the Almighty God. We have been having a vertical conversation with God, and now we are told, speak to the mountain. Whoever says to this mountain, he says, be removed and he be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. When we are walking in the power of the Holy Ghost, when we have communed with God in prayer, when we have taken our tiny seed of faith and placed it on the omnipotent God of heaven, now we are ready to have a horizontal conversation with our mountain and say, Okay, Mr. Mountain, I would greatly appreciate if you would just move a little bit out of the way so that I can get by. No! Who are you? Are you not the, of the royal household, household of heaven? You do not ask. 
You command. You're in my way, mountain. I command you to be moved and go jump in the lake. Take a long walk on a short pier. Be gone in the name of Jesus. We read in verse 24, Therefore, I say to you, whatever you ask when you pray, believe that you have received and you will have them. Ah, let me clarify. Yes, we confidently and without doubt command that mountain. But we must speak according to his will. 1 John 5 Verses 14 and 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked him of him. Men, you could not pray, Lord, I need a new wife. She used to wear a size 8, and now she runs around the house in a moo-moo. <laughs> ah, stop right there, women. You cannot pray, Lord, I need a new husband. He used to have a six-pack abdomen, but now he's carrying around a 10-gallon fanny pack. <laughs> no, that is not praying according to God's will. Oh, men, while we're having a funny... A quick word of advice for someone who has been fortunate enough, thank you baby, for being married for over 50 years. Learn to navigate the trap questions. When she asks you, honey, does this look, dress make me look fat? Quick, fake a heart attack, pretend you're choking. Anything, but don't answer the question. It's a trap. You're doomed either way. In my house, if I say, yes, you do look fat, well, you know. And then if I say, honey, you look gorgeous, the response would be, I could never depend on you to give me a straight answer. <laughs> so, Len, men, let me teach you a quick way to get out of that. Really quick. No hablo inglés. Doesn't work for me, though, because she speaks English and Espanol. Okay, now that you're awake again, let me continue. You have to pray in accordance with God's will. In my humorous ex example, his will is obvious. But how would you know if, you, if what you're praying for, uh, for is, is not? Obviously, in God's will. The short answer is, sometimes you don't. But you have to move in accordance, uh, in, in, in the assumption that it is in God's will. Because you don't want it to be in, not, you don't want it to be in God's will, and then all of a sudden you don't pray, and it doesn't get met. In some things, God's will, 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 God's will to act in certain situations is unconditional. One of the attributes of our God is that he is sovereign. That means he has supreme 
ultimate power to do anything he wants, whenever he wants, and however he wants. But we are confident in knowing that his character is one of steadfast love. He loves you more than you can ever imagine. In fact, all the fruit of the Spirit are a manifestation of who he is. And we know that he will always, always, always act for our good. So there are certain situations that God's unconditional will will override our asking. But there are also situations where God's will is conditional. When we ask and we meet the conditions, then he will act in our behalf in a mighty way far above expectations that mountains will be removed. Ephesians 3 and 10. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let me present another of God's condition to moving our mountains as we look at the final verses of our reading, verses 25 and 26. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. If you're unwilling to forgive, guess what? That mountain is not going anywhere. This is the condition for you attaining the promises he has given you. That's not fair, you say. That person has offended me in the worst way. God says, read my lips. Forgive them. You may have carried that grudge around for years. Let it go. It is a bondage. It doesn't matter what the offense was. It is a bondage in your life. Forgive and set yourself free to release all that God has in store for you. Because that grudge is blocking. As I close... I usually call up the worship team to minister in music. But I'm not going to do that today because we're going to gather at the altar and start to move mountains. And I feel that some of them up here also have mountains in their lives that need to be moved. So I'm going to ask Mark if he wouldn't play the music as we pray. If you can start it playing just low, Mark. Do you have mountains in your life? They can be moved today. There are conditions you must miss, yes, but God wants to help you to move them. First and foremost, you must be born again. If you've never experienced that freedom... And that fulfillment that comes from receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, 
Today is the day. If you have received Christ in the past, but have walked away, go ahead and start the music, Mark. And have walked away, let me assure you, you can come back home. If you listen carefully and closely, Jesus is whispering, Come home. Come home. Oh, sinner, come home. Because earnestly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Come home. Won't you listen to his voice? If you want to make this decision, I want to pray for you. And you're going to let me know who I need to pray for by raising your hands. So I'm going to ask all these born-again Christians to bow their heads and begin to intercede. Begin to say, Lord, start breaking that, that fear that, that people have about raising their hands and committing to you. Help them to see, uh, Father, that what they're about to, to, to embark in is freedom and a life of Christ. Begin to intercede for boldness.